0: Welcome to the Pencil-to-Pencil Podcast, with your hosts, Jamar Nicholas, Brett Blevins, and me, Mike Manley. In each episode, we will talk with fellow professionals from the fields of comics, animation, and illustration as they discuss their careers and their process. This week, we thought we would just start out with a conversation between Brett, Jamar, and myself. What's good this week, Jamar? What's good this week? Do you have anything good? What's good? good? What's good? Did you see anything good? Anything good this week? What's good with you this week?
1: Uh, I'll start. Is it something you just happen to see or does it have to be something contemporary?
0: Uh, Just anything good. I mean, good is good. It could be good from the, something you saw that was old or something good that you saw that was new or Okay
1: did you guys see spider verse yet i did yeah i haven't yeah i hear it's awesome though
2: yeah uh that's that was probably the last good thing i saw (laughs) the last good what i what's funny about it is it's starting to kind of uh, migrate over into social media and the fact that i don't know if you saw that or Mimi saw that uh, last week people were creating spider sonas like if you were Spider-Man, or if you wore the mask, what would your character look like? So all these people were doing artist renditions of their spider suit or their spider. Oh,
0: okay. So if they were in the Spider Verse, this is what they would look like.
2: Right, right, right. Uh, Um, It's kind of a free advertisement thing, but you know, people. One of the cool things about artists, as you know, is that if you're if you're really uh, vibing off something, it. Goes it falls into the work, right? So, you know, I'm always excited when people want to draw things because their their muse is, is lit up. <laughs> well, I didn't want uh, to, but I thought it was cool.
0: Did you see anything when you did your signing? Did you see anything cool at the shop?
2: Oh, um, yeah, I, I, just I just had a signing downtown at this really cool, cool store called cool. Brave Worlds. Uh, there's two of them. One's in Center City, and one is not. Um, uh, it, was a, it, it, it was a really good signing because I'm really I'm friends with all the people in the shop, but I, I can't really say I looked at much. Um, but oh, here's something that's interesting. The shop that I was at was the comic book store they used in the movie Glass, the new M Night Shyamalan movie.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, so that was kind of why I did the signing there, because Glass just came out last Friday and tried to kind of coincide with, you know, the buzz of the movie for the comic shop. And I think that you might see some Leon stuff in the background shots. Ah, great. Because Yeah, I supplied some props for the movie.
0: They own it now, Jamar. Oh. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess I should have read that contract a little better
0: are there people there from because of
2: the movie no no there weren't um and i don't really think they they thought about it in that what sense like to you know to just cross promote but the guys in the shop were really excited that you know they had something to do with movie magic Uh, that's always fun but um I didn't, you know to be honest I didn't look at look at much on the racks. I was kind of worried about the storm.
0: <laughs> oh
2: right. Yeah, cuz it was uh with the it started to snow that uh, early on Saturday and I, you know me, you know me Mike. I don't like inclement weather. I kind of freaked. I was like I got to I got to get out of here. I got to go home.
0: You got to go run <laughs> down down
2: the street and get your eggs and bread cheese <laughs> curls. I had to I had to get out of there. <laughs> But, uh, um, yeah, nah, I, it's funny how people are really still into um, pops. Like, uh, the one cool thing about that one the store is that they have a lot of figure and stuff in the middle of the shop and, like, a wall of Funko Pops. I don't know if either of you guys have gotten into that at all. I only have one.
0: I have one of the thing that Scott, oh. Scott Neely got me, you know, like years uh, ago.
2: Uh-huh. That's early pops, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, no. I I don't... That thing kind of all escaped me, the Funko. I mean, I hear about it, I see it, but I don't... I guess... Is this the Beanie Babies of the the new century? Like, people are buying them, thinking they're going to be able to sell them for zillions of dollars, like the Beanie Babies? Well,
2: well, you know, when I was at uh, New York Comic Con last October, uh, Funko had a huge presence there. Uh, and I think they had some exclusives, like people they had um, security guards with the velvet rope kind of queuing off the line to get in the Funko. Like, I think you had to have, like, a special ticket so you could have the chance to buy the special stuff. So, I mean, I don't know about the collectability of it, but people are really into it. I don't think, I don't think they sell them, though. I don't I don't know about the aftermarket value of a Funko Pop. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it kind of took off though. Oh, I saw this one video. This is from a little while ago. That they have a place where you can go and make your own pop. Like, it's just like, a, remember those pay by, the, pay by the pound bolt candy stores that were popular maybe 15 years ago? Okay, yeah. You know, you can go in with a scoop and just like fill a bag up with gummy worms.
1: That yeah, was we that? have one of those called Fit's. Oh. or something like that.
2: Oh, is there, are they still around, Brett? No. <laughs> yeah, think, something about the sanitary... Uh...
1: Yeah. Well, my kids sure loved them. They were still little, and that shows you how long ago it was. But...
2: Yeah, I do love windmill cookies, but I, I also like not getting sick. Um, you don't but, want to yeah. get
0: the, the foot-and-mouth disease from the other sick children?
2: <laughs> foot-and-mouth and pots and pepper... Fire. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they had a, a place like that just with Funko pieces. Like, you can make, you know, make a Brett Blevins So you funko can get, pop. like,
0: your your beard and your glasses and your different yeah. kinds of hair. And yeah.
1: Kind like of uh, like those little identities you, you made for yourself on the Wii.
2: Yeah, 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 like a little, what do you call them? Me's, right, on the Wii. So, but uh, in a roundabout way, that I guess that's what uh, I thought was cool last week. Just being at, this, at the shop doing assignments thats always cool. Mike, what about you?
0: Uh, let's see. Well, this week was pretty much a grind, grind, grind yeah. doing the getting the... Uh, trying to get the fifth issue of the Mystery Science done on top of the Phantom and doing the Judge, so I didn't, I didn't have a lot of fun... Mm -hmm. like extra fun this week although I did find some old uh, come across some old art Um, I came across this old uh, Munden's Bar story that I did can I see that so I found it's all like rough blue line pencil but so I came across that and that's from like 84
1: wow uh
0: it you were just a food. young pup. Huh?
1: You were just a young pup.
0: I was a young pup. Uh, so it's sort of all roughed out, so it was interesting to come across.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was looking for something in the attic, and I came across a bunch of this, like, old stuff, like that um, that Cloak and Dagger piece I posted, mm-hmm. uh, things like that.
2: Um, how, how do things like that wind up in your attic? I have like, a flat how, file. Uh,
0: I have a flat file up there that actually used to be down here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I bought my, years ago, when I bought my computer, first computer setup, I moved the flat file into the attic because at that time I was thinking of converting the attic into a studio. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff that's in that flat file that's been in there since like 1990, 91. It's been in there. I haven't seen since then. It was like a, like a ah. time capsule.
1: Yeah, that's a long time capsule. You
0: know, uh, yes. yeah, there was all kinds of stuff. there was old coloring book art in there uh, wow. from stuff that I did way back. Uh, I think one of them was from Marvel. It was a Marvel job, and I remember? Do you remember
2: Airbenders? Not, not the Avatar. <laughs> the Airbender. Well, it
0: was, I think they were called Airbenders but it was before that. But it was the same thing. Uh-huh. Like you know, like the same time they did Centurions and Silverhawks and oh
2: right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember it was called Airborne. It was something like that. That's crazy. Yeah, but, yeah.
0: So I I came across a bunch of like old coloring book art and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This way, there's the the attic looks like the Indiana Jones that's been like knocked over on the top of another Indiana Jones.
2: You that's know, the of the museum.
0: <laughs> you know, so I, that's that's a summer project that I need to go through and, like, just mm. get rid of – that's why I only buy books now. I don't buy any toys or I don't buy any of that stuff because I don't, have, I don't have room for it. And then one will just go up in the attic and then it'll be just another pile.
2: Well, we can have a Viking funeral. How's that? We can light it all up. <laughs> <laughs> burn, <down, laughs>
0: burn down the entire city of Upper Derby, You set that on fire.
2: So I did that at school, school and lighted on fire.
0: Yeah, but uh, that was about you know, you know most most weeks are pretty much. I was talking to someone I don't know who I was talking. To, most weeks because people always ask you as an artist, "How's your week going?" Yeah.
1: How,
0: you know how things are going. But at least for me, most weeks are pretty much the same. Maybe it's because I'm doing the strips, so it's yeah. You know what I mean. But I mean, is this week that much different than what you did last week?
1: Right, right. Just chasing
2: checks. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, I'm actually not doing that in a short term anymore. I'm doing all this stuff on spec. We'll see if it goes anywhere. But oh, that's, a,
2: that's, that's dangerous.
1: <laughs> it, it definitely is dangerous. It certainly feels dangerous.
0: Well, there's people who make nice. their living doing kickstarters and stuff now.
1: Yeah. I was organizing some of my... Uh, Stuff I got off the web. I got a bunch of stuff by this marvelous artist Edward Dione. You guys know him?
0: Oh wow. Oh he's a German guy, right?
1: Yep. From yeah. uh he worked so the eighteen nineties up to World War Two, actually.
0: Oh okay, yeah. I think okay. didn't somebody put a folder of his or a link to a bunch of stuff or was not Punch or one of those old magazines, one of those old German magazines?
1: Sim- Simplicissimus.
0: That was it, yeah. yeah.
1: So I've been looking at that stuff because I love it. I don't know why this guy hung himself, but I guess he's had enough. Too much work in spec, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's beautiful.
1: I heard a funny uh, little clip. I don't know how it came. I was reading something about S.J. Perlman or something, and I saw this funny. He was on this little bunch of clips from a British show where they ask all these celebrities, 1978 and said, if you could uh, make a time capsule that represented 1978, what would you put in it? And most of them were mildly amusing, but then Vincent Price said uh, he would put Anita Bryant to get rid of her, Jackie Onassis as a lesson, and if she would fit Dolly Parton. (laughs) That's funny. I thought that was good. He was always clever.
2: Did you know... And I don't, I can't really uh, uh, confirm this. But the reason that Dolly Parton is so covered up is that she's covered head to toe in tattoos.
1: I have no idea. Really? I heard she's, that too, but huh?
2: Mm-hmm. And she's been getting tattoos for years.
0: She's like the yakuza.
2: The yeah. yakuza of country music. Yeah. Hold on one second.
1: What's that? Does she um? Oh. I wonder, did she get tattoos of stuff like fried chicken and corn cobs and stuff like that? <laughs> I'm not, I, you know,
2: for some reason I think in the article I've read, they're like butterflies and little, you know, they're things all, like They're that.
0: all dead country stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um but yeah that's kind of like her secret for herself that's why she's she's always like head to toe covered in
1: fabric when you see her
0: so like the Jay Jay Giles band on her back yeah
1: <laughs> and has a uh, Porter Wagner on her ass <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh i just saw her she I what ever happened to Porter <laughs> Wagner <laughs> I guess she, I don't know if she was ever in a relationship with him, but that was her partner on the Grand Ole Opry in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: She just popped up. She's in something. What is she in? Oh, I think she's in John Wick 3. What? Ah, Okay. Yeah, I think she's in John Wick 3. So now they're they're going to change
0: it change the name from John Wick to Dolly Dolly
2: Wick? (laughs) Bally Wick. Um,. Yeah, I didn't see the second one, but I don't know. Brett, did you see John Wick?
1: The, no. This, uh,
2: Reeves movie? It's a franchise now.
1: Well, I've been seeing ads for it, but I missed the first one.
2: The first one was really good. <laughs> it was really good. Hmm. It's kind of almost like in the, in the sense of The Matrix. Uh, when Matrix came out and there was no buzz, no one knew what it was. And then when you saw it and people were like jumping and hanging in air and kicking people and flip it upside down. You lost yeah. your mind. It's kind of that, like it's a whole universe that they created in these, in these movies. And it's really
1: stylish. You might dig it. Is it uh, a really violent is, film? Is it from some other genre or is it an original to this film? I think it's all original.
2: Like, I don't know if there's books behind it. I don't know much about that, but it just kind of appeared and they're doing stuff that nobody's seen before. And now there's three of them. Apparently I missed the second. Wow.
1: One. wow he's uh he keeps going. That's good for yeah. him. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I don't know. You should give that a Sunday couch watch. So what are you, d- what are you drawing
0: this week? Jamar? Are you drawing anything?
2: Yeah. So what I'm working on right now is, um, I have a commission. Uh, I'm finishing up, um, a beast man for masters of the universe for a friend of mine. And, uh, I am working on, uh, a synopsis for my next Leon book. Uh, that's like 15 pages. And I was doing some layouts today for that. And, um,
0: no, what do you mean by synopsis? I mean, 15 pages. That's like the book.
2: You just, <laughs> drew, you just wrote a comic book. You that's just wrote 50. the comic book. 15. Um, well, this book's going to be 240 pages.
1: Ah, okay.
2: So, you know, it's, it's deeply rooted in kid lit now, so it's like twice the size as the last book. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, kind of like what Brett said. It's kind of like a spec thing. It's like, I'm doing this, see what the publishers think, and we move, move from there. I just want to do a good job on it. Um,
0: now, is this already based upon... Some of the feedback that you got when you were originally going around after this the the the, the latest graphic novel,
2: yeah, uh, some of it is um, really what it is without saying too much is that this what I'm working on is kind of like a, a origin story for Leon that I didn't do in the first book. Uh, the first book felt more like a, that episode of The Simpsons uh, was a greetings from Springfield. Where Milhouse and Bart get uh, high on squishies and just interact with the townsfolk, so you kind of got you know a, a really quick snapshot of the universe, and that's what I try to do in this book. But this new one is more of a straight-up origin, so I'm kind of pulling back a little bit and focusing on some key characters a lot more than I did in the first book. Um, so.
0: Now, is that based upon something you wanted to do or the feedback you were getting from the people you were showing the book to?
2: A lot of that is feedback. Um, You know, uh, I didn't necessarily want to start with an origin story. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of origin stories. I think they're interesting, but you know, I kind of want to just keep jump into it. You know, I enjoy like Spider-Man year six. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's been in it for a minute. I didn't run. <laughs> um, but I, but I understand the, the need for like a beginning, especially in kids books, you know, you got to start it day one and then build out from there. So, you know, it's also me learning the market too. Um, and just kind of creating for a different audience that I'm used to, that I'm used to, and trying to listen to the people that are telling me this is what this is what people want. So I just want to try to give it to them. So yeah, it's a lot of listening to uh, some of the feedback, and also trying to just still stay loose and do my own thing, if that makes sense. Right,
0: right. I'm but not, I mean, because if you're getting the feedback from, you know. The, the Library Association of America and saying right. that we, because you know, there's like a what hundred thousand libraries in America or some crazy number like that, yeah. and they buy a lot of books, so they say this is the kind of book we like or our our yeah. readers
1: constituents, uh, yeah, like this
0: type of uh, thing. Because mm-hmm. I I always sort of feel too is like this. The, one of the things I don't like a lot about the superhero movies is like I'm so tired of seeing the origin over and over and over and over constantly. It's like every time they do Spider-Man, do do another origin. You know, we all know the radioactive Spider-Man.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, if
0: if you don't know it by now, you just really are not interested Mm -hmm. at all. You know what I mean? Because there's so many versions
2: of it. Right. Um, Well, you know, some of the things that I had to really start looking into for doing this kind of work is like word count and like how many syllables are in words that I'm using in the book. You know, all those type of things kind of change the and I'm I'm showing how uh, unprepared I am. There's a name for that. There's like a score that basically rate the reading level of the book. Based Good. on how yeah. many words? Yeah, like the complexity of the words in a book will change the reading level of it. There's a uh, there's a phrase for it. It's like the something and something metric or something to that effect. So, you know, if you're putting like prestidigitation and, you know, transcendence and things like that in your book and it's just way too advanced for a third grader, it'll, you know... Make the book not eligible to be read by a certain age group. So, like, all that stuff matters to somebody, like librarians and some some teaching groups. Um, I didn't know there were so many rules to making a kid's book. But, you know, like, I've been at, at a lot of shows and people say things like, well, what's the reading level? And I, at first, was just kind of cheating it. I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't know, just buy it. Just buy it. <laughs> It'll love
0: it. Your eyes have formed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, like the, the 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 thin membrane is eroded from your eyes, you can see. Um, but, yeah, there's all these, like, rubrics and metrics for, like, handing a book to a kid. Like, is it the wrong level? Is this above their pay grade? <laughs> all those kind of things. So, you know, authors have to be cognizant of those things going in.
0: No, you were thinking about that with your first, the, the, the last graphic novel you were working on, right?
2: No, I. Started, people started asking me that stuff when I was done. Like, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know about that stuff. I mean, it makes sense, but uh, getting cornered by some soccer moms and them asking you questions like that makes you feel real uneducated quickly.
0: Now, when you did the f- uh, fist stick, was that part also part of the... Or was that different because you were adapting it from the other source?
2: Yeah, I think that was a little different because I was adapting. But also there were so many people in front of me with that. No one asked me those kind of questions. Um, What's interesting about that book still is that um, I guess if somebody asked me to say, well, what's the the grade level or – Whatever for a book like that, I would say like high school kids or like, you know, uh, eighth, eighth and up. Um, but I keep finding out that uh, school districts and a lot of social justice college courses have been used in that book in their curriculum. Uh, I just found out that that the University of Cincinnati is using fistic knife gun in some of the social justice classes, uh, which is pretty cool. it is pretty cool. Um, but you know, as far as like where it fits in on some sort of like, you know, metric scale of acad- academic, academic con- uh, constructs, I couldn't tell you, I would just say it's got cursors words in it. <laughs> I, wonder that,
1: I wonder if that exists for helping not to alienate readers who are struggling.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that's a lot to do with it. Like maybe the worst thing you could do is hand a kid a book that he, that's too advanced for him. And then they just start like bleeding from their eyes or something.
1: <laughs> I, may, I may not want to keep fighting to learn how to read, I guess.
2: Right. You know, and I, I would hate to be the catalyst for something like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's really a brand new world, and you know, yeah, I, I want to make sure I have all the right ammo in my magazine if I'm going to stay in this world. I got to look that up now. I'm going to tell you what that is. <laughs> What is this? There's a really, like, long egghead word
1: for it. And
0: what about you, Brett? What what were you working on this week? You said you were working on a commission.
1: Yeah, and then I'm going to go back. I had a long talk with Tim today. I got to the end of his story, the first story, and I would reworked a bunch of it, so he's...
0: And what and what other, you should tell the people what this uh, what the story is,
1: though. The bearing damsels of darkmire have got some of it. Starting beginning of it. If you can see that.
2: That's a little bright oh yeah, yeah. it's a little better.
0: So what is what is the uh better the Hollywood mm-hmm. pitch of this uh th- these characters about? Well you also have your uh but a Facebook for that, right?
1: That's right. There's a Facebook for that, and uh, I don't know if there's anything else. What else would there be? Instagram or something. I don't know what all there is, but uh, but the other the other three, the gothic kind of uh, fantasy with these three uh, young women who are probably they're probably still teenagers, I guess. I don't know if that's been super specifically decided, but they uh, each have some special capacity that has made them part of this group called the firebrands who protect this uh, community from things that are outside the normal province of uh, the gendarmes i guess so you know fantasy stuff with uh, monsters and uh vampires and Ghosts. it's a banshee in this first issue, and these other little horrible creatures that are made by this something we haven't seen yet, who kidnaps children and sort of takes them apart and sews them back together with other animal parts and makes these horrible little minions out of them. Right. Cheerful stuff for first graders. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what's the metric on that? What's the yeah, fear what's metric? <laughs>
1: I, I don't know. I, I don't like this thing that Jamar was talking about, but I guess I can understand if you're trying to get a whole bunch of disparate kids to get interested in reading, you sort of have to be aware if you might scare them off. But it seems a little like yeah. pre-editing or censorship to me. But
2: Well, here it is. It's called Lexile Measures. That's Lex,
1: Lexile?
2: Lexile. L-E-X-I-L-E. Uh, Lexile reader measures Students receive a Lexile reader measure From a reading test A program So I guess a kid has to take a reading test And then wherever they fall on this line Your book has to be inside that
1: Mm. That That sounds like a bureaucratic decision to me like mm. really? You know. Here, hold on, let second see if I can find one. Yeah, this is really interesting. Right? Commonly referred to as dumb, dumb, and dumber.
2: <laughs> oh no! But yeah. So I, I mean, I remember like I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a little younger than you guys, but I remember when I was in school and I, I was.
1: Uh, we remember when we were in school too. We're not that old. <laughs>
2: He just gave you a tablet and a a, a chisel. That's
0: right. I may have had to pedal the bus to school with my feet,
2: but... (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I remember, like, there were, like, the... uh, uh, I got tested into some reading program and they had all these unit books that were different colors and I remember, you know, the teachers kept giving me different colored books and they were all really dumb. And I was like, hey, this is... Like, got anything else? (laughs) Like, had to keep going. (laughs) Try the blue
0: one on him. See what happens. (laughs) The red one (laughs) flew right off. Well, I remember when I, uh, because I went from the public school to the Catholic school. And in the Catholic school, there was this little device that you put the book in. And it Mm -hmm. had a, you set the, like, there was like a timer. It was basically like a timer and it set this bar that would go down the page so it would basically close the, your ability to see the page.
2: Oh, so it was testing how fast you read,
0: Right, how fast you could read. And uh, uh, I haven't talked to too many other people that ever had that, but I guess that was a way of them being able to go, okay, everybody in this grade needs to be able to read this fast. You know, you're, you're That was a big, a big, uh, a big thing to to make sure that you could read at a certain rate of speed.
1: Very odd. Yeah, I don't,
0: I don't know why they were like that.
1: Yeah, I just remember, you know, we, it was fairly loose where I was, I guess, but uh, I remember reading those bloody Dick and Jane books and being so bored. <laughs> I was delighted to be able to understand what was on the pages, but I just thought God, there's gotta be something better than this. I wanted something like Bugs Bunny, you know. Something happened. But fortunately I got to the library soon after that and it was much more fun there. <laughs> All right, here's the
2: end of this chapter. I found I found a resource thing on Lexile levels. How to find a child's lexile level. The lexile level will always be shown as a number with an L after it. For example, 770L equals 770 lexile. The higher the measure, the higher the student's reading level. Blah, 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 blah. So, what this means for us is how to find the lexile of a book. The measure, the thing is measured by met- metametrics. After a text is assessed, it's giving a measure like that of a student's readability level. Blah 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 blah. Two main criteria it tests are word frequency and sentence strength. A text lexile framework works in increments
1: of ten. So what is the sentence strength? That's weird.
0: Yes, yeah, so I guess you'll be of, the one escaping. <laughs> this <There's> on. the phrase <laughs> <weak> sentence. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, like I said, like, I guess, like, C Jane run is pretty basic, but, you know, the modern measure of a modern major general, <laughs> a little rougher, right?
1: It's <laughs> strange, you know, I mean...
2: Yeah, it's a whole new
1: world. Yeah, I don't think my kids had that here, anything like that, that I recall. They just sort of, the teachers read to them, and they got kind of followed along and stuff, so...
2: Yeah, but this is how, you know, I, I was at a show and somebody said, what's the Lexile level? I was like, what? Ha?
0: Ten. <laughs> Just say ten. Just This always sounds good.
2: There's always going ten. So, you know, if anything, we learned something out of this, this podcast.
0: <laughs> but, of course, that doesn't have anything to do with whether the book is actually good or entertaining, <laughs> no. right? You know, I mean, it's like complexity of sentence structure doesn't necessarily mean that it's entertaining.
1: Right. Or it doesn't even mean that it makes any sense. I mean, there's plenty of academic books that are so heavy, stumbling over their own consonants, that you can't make heads or tails out of them. There's tons of that crap. Right. In fact, I just bought a book. I bought it for Tim, thinking he would... uh, it might help him structure some of... because he's got really good ideas, and he's very good with dialogue, but he sometimes has... or he causes me problems anyway, of Mm. trying sometimes his setups require too much or his situations require a little too much setup to make them pay off. Clearly and you just don't have a space for that in a comic, you know? So trying to find ways of marrying these, uh, scenarios to a very visual and instantaneous, uh, you know, thing that something can, somebody can recognize and then see how it pays off is a, like a special skill. So I, Bought him this book about storytelling, uh, storyboarding. Mm -hmm. It came very highly recommended. It's so cumbersomely written; it really is in terrible need of an editor. And I guess this guy worked on a lot of great stuff, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure he knows what he's talking about. But the writing is just so—you know—he'll sort of talk about a concept and then say, "Now, why do you think that is?" Well, I'm not going to tell you now. But first, we're going to talk about this, and later on, you'll find out. I'm thinking I'm first grade or something with this. <laughs> uh, I'll show it. To you. I'll go get it. Show us what book bookwork.
0: So yeah. now when you're 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 blocking this stuff out, are you thinking visually at all? Are you like making any visual notes or is this just all pure just writing everything out?
2: Are you talking to me or Brett? You. Brett uh, well, uh, Jamar, you. Um uh, no, well, you know, I'm pretty visual. So like when I did the last Leon book, I started scripting and it just, since I'm just doing it for myself, it was kind of like a waste of a step uh, because I just kind of lay everything out, you know, on uh, thumbnails and then make them talk, (laughs) make the characters talk to each other. Um, So I'm, Doing a little bit of that again, and I'm kind of feeling I don't want to say a pressure, but I'm kind of feeling like I need to make sure I'm leaving a better roadmap for myself. So like I'm I'm feeling like I want to script this out, but I'm not doing it already. Like I'm just, you know, I I have pages, I'm laying out the thumbs, you know, I'm just going from there. Because I have in my, you know, I have a synopsis and I have like a wireframe of what I want to have happen and you know just kind of what Brett was about to start talking about you know how to get it there You right. know, maybe if it you know if this chapter you had in your head looked like 10 pages but it probably needs to be 16 you know how to make that flow
0: and then you also leave it open to the possibility that the characters now you've been doing Leon for a while he sort of starts to tell you in a way what he would yeah. do in that kind of a situation. So you might decide, well, I'm, I need another little bit here, or I need to expand this.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that happened. That happened a couple of times in the last book where there was one scene where the kids that are in, in permanent detention escape, but it kind of happened too fast, and I needed to add another page of them stuff. Added. I didn't mean to write that. But, you know, you can feel
0: it. You found the book? I was just looking at that tonight on Amazon. Huh.
1: Well, so far, I can't recommend it little enough. Yikes. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I would think that someone who worked in film could use some of this, but some of it is so... Uh, loose and rough and there's tons of stuff in here that's breaking the 180 degree rule so it's not tight like a a TV animation board. So unless you know something about film, I should think this would be very confusing, some of this stuff.
0: Well, that was one of the things I was talking about is that there's the storyboarding people just say that, but the storyboarding for a commercial, storyboarding for television cartoons and a storyboarding for features or feature live action and feature animation are very, are different because the specifics of the TV means that you're doing like keyframes and just for say animated film, you're developing the story, but you're not doing all the keyframes. That's like a separate after you figure out what your story is, then they do the, the,
1: there's information in here, but it's the sort of thing that you've got to wade through a lot to get it and piece it together from these very bloated paragraphs and sentences that are almost too chummy, you know, in the way they're just sort of blathering on. Uh, if you if you were reading this just to get information, I should think it needed an editor really bad, which I don't I think it in Oh, and
2: I'll be back. Thanks. No.
0: So you're going to if you were reading this, if you were reading this when you started boarding, would that book have helped you?
1: Not at all. Not so far. I mean, maybe it all comes together at the end. I mean, one of the reasons is you can see here the stuff is, is it's like a working board that you would do in a meeting and then pin up and talk about.
0: Right. Okay. They're
1: so loose that uh, to a beginner, I should think that it would be actually kind of confusing because some of the drawing. Is so sloppy, and you know, like I said, the 180-degree rules broken because they're not staging it moment to moment. It's key, a, a, a beat, emotional beats. Right. Later, the composition and everything will be worked out. So I think that's not a good, not a good thing to put into someone you're trying to explain it to. Um, and it's just really sloppy. I mean, can you see? Sometimes you can't even tell what it is. I should think he would have. You know, pulled some cleaner boards to use as demonstrations, but um, maybe he couldn't
0: get the rights.
1: Well, it's got all this stuff, you know, from um, stuff he, well, I don't know if it's a lot of stuff that he worked on. It may be a restatement of it because he's he's running it through with this theme of Scheherazade, and the um, board artist, the storyboard guy, is Scheherazade. So if he can't tell a convincing story, he's going to be killed. So he keeps doing these little boards of Scheherazade's uh, following the. I've probably read 40, 50 pages, and it's following the actual Arabian Night story. But um, yeah, I was quite disappointed in it. I wanted something more pithy and right to the point. I used to have a book called Shot for Shot. Do still have it? Yeah. Uh, I, And it's good for boarding, but it's not particularly, I wouldn't think, useful for showing someone how to write a script. So I guess I'll just keep hammering at it and figuring it out. There's got to be a good source out there. As it stands now, I actually think that in the context of what this book is supposed to be doing, the illusion of life is better. Because it's just direct, you know. That wasn't written for the public. That was just to use at the Disney Studios so they don't, there's no, I don't know what he's trying to do, entertain people or something, but it just seemed a little silly would be the word, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's one of the things I, I think what we learned is uh, the difference between the feature and TV because TV, everything is very specific. There's no, like, There's no ambiguity where somebody's going to kind of figure it out based upon your sketch later on. It has to all be very specific.
1: Yeah, and I would think that for teaching someone how to think like a filmmaker, you would want that to be very clear. Then when you get in the studio, you'll realize that you don't need to draw it tight at this point. But you know, it just seems like his examples aren't good, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, when you look at The Illusion of Life, when they show you something, it's so great that that in itself is inspiring, you know. Some great milk milk call drawings or titla drawings or something.
0: Or they could show you the Bill Pete storyboard and then the animation drawing and then the still from the final.
1: And this stuff's really sloppy. I mean, and it's so vague sometimes. I couldn't tell, you know, if I can't tell when I first look at it what the emotion is supposed to be, then... You shouldn't have that drawing in the book.
0: Yeah, that's funny, because I was just looking at that that book tonight.
1: Well, I'm going to give it to Tim when he comes up this week. He can read through it, and then he'll get it back to me, and I'll try and plow through it and see what I... Uh, I mean, like, this is the heading here. It's still this copy. The director is a magician. The final art that we will explore about directing attention is magic that it, gets too fruity, you know? I mean, a beginner certainly doesn't need to be trying to think of themselves as a magician. Well, you know,
0: you know part of that I, I, I agree with because I actually, that's one of the things I say when I would teach a class that is basically what we're doing is we're casting a spell. And what we do is we use all these techniques of storytelling to convince the viewer that you're not just looking at a bunch of drawings, you know, or when you're watching a film, you basically stop becoming conscious of you watching the story. You become emotionally involved in the story. So, you know, sound, editing, staging, all these different things are part of the spell. But you are being very conscious of you manipulating other people's Conscience, so that they will fall underneath the, the spell of the story. And what happens is, if you are poor at doing that, uh, the person go, well, "Wait a minute, what was that?" They become confused, or they go, "Oh, that was you know, that was bullshit." And then you don't really ever buy back into the 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 drama again. So I can I can understand how. How are you saying it? But I try to make it very. Uh, I would say that you're you're using storytelling techniques to cast the spell, so that the person is oh. not aware of.
1: I get that in terms of it being like a concept. Yeah, but it's not it's not practical advice in the sense of doing a blow by blow. It's like it seems to me that, and it could be my expectations on this book. I didn't buy it for a, uh, for, you know, the point I was going to give it to my son was that I thought it might help him think visually and what the limitations of the film are, because that's the big problem with scripting. You know, c- comics are the most handicapped, I think, of any storytelling medium, because you have the least space, the least amount of frames. Uh, it's silent. It has no movement. And you have to also leave space for the sound, Visual space for the sound. So it's super tight, as we all know. So he tends to sometimes come up with scenarios that I could board and they would look good on over a minute of film, but it would require so many panels to do it this way that I don't have space. You know, you got 25 pages, whatever you're trying to hold it to. So that very, you know, because a comic is basically what would it be 120 flashcards, which are the panels, and everything has to be contained on that flat surface, there's no sound or anything. So I just thought it was a little too esoteric for what it was advertised to be, which was like a textbook on the mechanics of storyboarding. Because I think, you know, that stuff about the magician, it, it's good for getting inspiration in a class. I guess I could see that more than printing it in a book. Because, um, you know, what you need to know, if, if you're there, into film and you want to learn how to do this, you already know that films have a magical effect on you or you wouldn't be interested in learning how to make them. You know what I mean? It just seemed like... And also, you know, it's so bloated. I mean, it really needed an editor. The synthesis just run on and on and on. So I shouldn't be so harsh about it, I guess. I'm not telling you don't buy it, but I didn't pay much for it. Too late! Too late! Zero stars... uh, You want to see a really good version of the Arabian Nights? Get this one by Topi. Oh, yeah,
0: I have that one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
1: Fantastic.
2: That's that's some good looking stuff.
0: Well, you know, I mean, that ties into some of the things we talked about before, just between uh, and, uh, parts of our conversations, is uh, curating your studying because there's so much material available. How do you know whether that I mean, this, this person is a professional, they've worked at these various companies, but how do you know whether that information is actually good, you can actually really use it, you know what I mean? It's organized in a way that uh, it's going to be beneficial to you. Because you see, you know, you can go on YouTube now and just type in uh, portrait drawing, and there's like a bazillion
1: uh, I'll bet. Mm-hmm. you know,
0: guys drawn real fast you know what i mean but does that actually is it like just watching a, st- a stunt like a magic trick Are you have you
1: ever seen that uh, i can't remember the name of the book it's a little i i'll have it next time i can't put my finger on it right now i don't remember where i last had it but it's a little book about that big it's red and black cover and it's about filmmaking but it's all marvel comic book panels it's from about 1972 or something.
0: Wow! No, I've never seen that.
1: You've Never seen that.
0: Ooh. Well, What about Eisner's book? Did you give him? Did you recommend that one? Eisner's uh, book on.
1: Um, I've got that. I could give him that. Um, he gets to be a little bit esoteric too, but he certainly knows how to break down. You know, I mean, he's very. He has some prejudices that I think. Uh, you know, he doesn't like balloons that aren't at the top of the panel. He doesn't like those kind of layouts. So he he has some little peculiarities of his own that he kind of wants to enforce. His, his, what he explains is that it's not really there, so it shouldn't be overlapping any of the figures. It's sound, so it's not physical, so it shouldn't be in front of figures. And sometimes that's a great way to time dialogue. To have someone say a word below in answer to something up here or whatever. Um and he's some of that stuff in there is just so ridiculous, like the uh the Macbeth with the hippie talking to the cockroach. <laughs> that is some rancid shit. <laughs> it does not work. But you know, the spirit stuff is great. So you're right. I should probably give him a bunch of spirits when he's here. Well the the I- magazines
0: yeah. Yeah. one of the things I, I do in, in the class at the beginning because you always have kids that want to come in and they all everybody wants to do like um, uh, 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 like Lord of the Rings they have these big you know giant stories there's all these so I would get a sheet, sheet of paper single sheet of paper right and I say draw six panels draw a stick figure draw a little circle with a mean face Draw your dialogue. Now work out three, four pages of your story just doing that. You can draw a city. It could be a scribble, New York City, right? It doesn't have to look like New York City, but it tells you that space and where the caption is. And then you actually see how everything has to fit together and share the real estate. Later on, you can change the size of your panels. You can you can make something like a splash page, whatever. But I think that's the hardest part is for people to see that it – when it's up here, it's so yeah. nebulous.
1: It really is magic. Yeah. Yeah. Up there.
0: yeah, But when you put it down on paper, you realize, oh, you've got 44 characters in the story. How am I going to get every one of those characters on this sheet of page and start talking to each other? It's not going to fit. You know, you start to actually see them. mechanics. George,
1: George Perez just retired, so you can't call him.
0: <laughs> that seems to help everybody. Just because they have to see the physicality of how it well
1: what works. Tim did is he got something that he saw from the Francis Ford Coppola, the way he worked where he and he translated it to a set of scenes pages where he, he uses index cards and each page or each index card is one page. So it's not so much that he is putting too much story information, it's that the business he has come up with is really hard to convey in that limited space. He needs to think of, you know, some like you do in boarding, you know, if you got a script where this, it's not a super important scene, but it has to be there for exposition reasons. You rack in your brain, what kind of room are they in? Where are they at? Is there something in the environment he could use to do something with, to convey this quicker? He needs to start thinking like that so he can just compress the information.
0: Well, comics is is probably, of all storytelling, uh, and probably comic strips, of all that, is probably the most compressed space
1: of all. Especially especially story strips. I mean, I think the the gag strips are kind of perfect. They're just like jokes and punchlines, you know? Right. But But
0: when you see see somebody like, uh, you read the onstage stuff, or, you know, even the... Julia Jones, you re- read all that stuff. I mean, those guys in thirteen weeks they would tell a very complicated, compact yeah. story. It's like so much story, and it had to be structured well enough that if you didn't get the paper on Tuesday, right? Yeah, you could oh, read it nasty. on Thursday and still understand what was happening.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: you know. So it'd be like you know you're watching an episode of your TV show, and then you just. Clip that middle part of the TV that, you know, goes out and then it comes back on. Is the story structured well enough that you can still understand that? And I don't, I I mean, I always loved the strips and whatever, but I don't, I never really appreciated that as much until I actually did it for a living. And then you realize actually how hard that is, Yeah. you know, because um, uh, we're used to it now where anything basically, nothing is lost now, right? Anything that's any strip, any comic, it's it's available online immediately. Any TV show, you're never gonna like. Damn it, I won't be able to see that rerun of Columbo until summer. You know, I mean, everything is available immediately. But for the most of the history of this medium, it was not that way, and there were no reprints. They didn't reprint comic strips, so you couldn't get, I will get the best of this year's Prince Valiant collected. You know what I mean? That that stuff didn't happen until decades later. So the stories had to be structured soundly enough that people could actually miss part of the story, and you could still tell what's going on. That's why they would always say people's names. Like, I don't keep saying, Jamar, Brett, Jamar, Brett, Jamar, Brett, right? Right. But when you read the strips, the characters are always saying, Sam, Joe, because that might be a strip that somebody... Well, who is that?
2: Who is that character?
1: First time they've seen him. Right. Right.
0: I mean, I I think... Shooter
1: Shooter used to have that thing at Marvel where he would say that every comic is somebody's first comic.
0: And that's probably... It, well, at least it used to be, that used to be true, you
1: know? Yeah.
0: You know? I mean, we know just even as growing up, you didn't get every issue of something unless you subscribed to it. Right. You know? You'd get like this issue of Superman and then you wouldn't get, you know, several others and then you get one with a cover ripped off.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know? And it wasn't until, you know... In my teens, when we moved to Ann Arbor, that I was actually able to go to a comic book store that actually had back issues. Yeah. And for me, some of the revelation was just seeing, like, oh, so that's what the cover of that comic was, because a lot of the comics I would get actually had the cover ripped off.
1: Yeah. The three or the packs. half of it
0: would be ripped off, you know?
1: Yeah. They were supposed to be destroyed, so yeah. somebody was... Making money off that that they weren't supposed to. Yeah. yeah, that was my
2: first experience was getting comics in the three-pack from the bodega with no covers. They would just put put them in cellophane and sell them for, like, 50 cents.
0: Do you remember what they were?
2: Some of them were, like, early... Like, maybe some of the Spider-Man, uh, a couple, like, random Batmans. But, like, back then, I didn't really... I didn't glom one of the artists... Like I was pretty stupid <laughs> and I was just, you know, I, I like Spider-Man. I get those little digests from the supermarket, but I, it took me a while to figure out did, the Ditko Spider-Man from Vesemba or something like that. Um Maybe if they had a cover, it would have helped. <laughs> did you, did you,
0: did you like, was Spider-Man like the first one that you really liked?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's my guy. <laughs> uh, and I think it was just really more about access. I mean, I think from the, the cartoon that was being syndicated and probably like the 70s Spider-Man live action Peter Hammond show, it was is garbage to look at now. <laughs> <laughs> um, like all those things just eat in. Were you, were, you, were you
0: hypnotized by Peter Hammond walking up the side of the wall?
1: It looked like, yeah. you
0: look like your grandpa trying to get out of bed. Oh, my back.
1: I love the way he used to walk over an invisible flat surface, even if the windows were, like, two feet deep. (laughs) Just Walking over a giant photograph. Well, you
2: know, it was all amazing to me. And I think just also from being kind of like coming into video games in that early age, we just had to use our imagination. Because those two uh, bricks going across the screen is supposed to be basketball. (laughs) And you had to just make it, you had to fill in the information (laughs) in your head. So, I mean, it worked for me, you know. I was happy to see a superhero on television.
1: Yeah. Did you see uh, Spider-Man on the electric company? Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that messed people up because I know a lot of people who, when the movie came out, when the cartoon, they were like, Spider-Man doesn't talk. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like, it says, well no, and the electric company he he didn't talk. Well he just and, made that brruh, brruh,
0: right. It was like a sound or, effect.
2: Yeah, and they had like the thought balloon and right, came out yeah. so and people were like I thought he was a mute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, spiders spiders don't talk, so I guess it makes sense.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I think there's just like so many different versions of people's first Spider Man, which is kind of ties into that Spider Verse movie, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I I saw only the cartoon. I never saw a Spider-Man comic until maybe around 1969, 1970. We went to Canada Mm. on a vacation, and in that little, like, beach place that sold hamburgers or whatever, there were Marvel Comics. Hamburgers. Hamburgers. The Hamburgers. Hamburgers, Hamburgers. Hamburgers. Um, Hamburgers they had Spider-Man Marvel comics. So we had some Marvel comics. It was the one, actually, I remember, was where he had the the extra arms, right?
1: Mm.
0: Um, And I was like, wait a minute, he has all these webs, like, down the middle of his costume, because I'd only seen the cartoon where he just had on the gloves and the head, right? And there was none down here. So that was like, what? What Mm -hmm. is this bogus Spider-Man with his extra webbing? Um, because the little place down from me that we get the comics with the covers ripped off only so didn't have any Spider-Man comics for some reason. Mm. And when I was real little, then later on they did, but in the beginning they only had DC.
2: Oh.
0: they only had DC. It wasn't oh. until later on, like seventy-two, seventy-three, maybe. Mm-hmm. Then they started getting the Marvel Tales, the reprints, mm-hmm. Marvel Greatest Comics, the reprints. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that first big giant sp- size Spider-Man, the big thing like that, and then the yep. Fantastic Four. And those were like, that was probably around 73, 74, somewhere, right before we moved. But wow. in the beginning, they only had DCs.
2: That's when I checked in. <laughs> Did you have those big treasury editions? No, no, I, I didn't have anything like that, um, and I don't think, I don't think I even knew that comic book stores existed until maybe the mid '80s. Did you go to I, Green Onions? You remember Green oh, Onions? Green, the Green Onions one that was on Wan, uh, Walnut Street, right? right. Um, that was more like a headshot, like a jazz, like a jazz CD record store, and they had comics in the back. That was I was in college when I found out about the onions. Oh, okay. I knew about the Fat Jacks. I never been to the Fat Jacks in Center City because I didn't know it existed until I was, like, almost out of high school. But I knew there was, a, at one point, there were three Fat Jacks. And, Brett, I don't know if you heard about this, but the comic store here in town is on some financial, financial stuff. Sure. Uh, I saw a post about it somewhere, um, but there used to be what three or four. Was there one in City Line, right? That's where Scotty was, right? right there was yeah. City Line, uh, Center City, and there was one in my neighborhood in Fifth Street, like kind of like an Almy. Okay. And that was my mm, that was a, mm, yeah something like that. Uh, was the first time I knew there was a comic book store. It was a very magical place. But, you know, you had to know the right kid who had access to that stuff. Because in the 80s, when I was starting to go to high school, people were still in the ninjas and people would go to Marshall World <laughs> in, in Chinatown by Nutshot <laughs> and Chinese Throwing Stars. So, so you we weren't
0: were, were collecting comics, you are collecting Throwing Stars?
2: <laughs> the, the boots with the to two toes. So you could go sneak around. Like, we were really deep in the ninjas right there. Until that piece of
0: glass went to the bottom of your foot.
2: (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, I didn't have any nerd friends who were into comics like that that would go, oh, we're going to the comic book school. okay. What's that? that?" I just kind of staggered upon it. No other kids in school? No. Well, I mean, some kids like comics, but I don't – it wasn't – there wasn't – kind of like an underground knowledge of where to go get stuff. Like everything was happening in Chinatown because that's where you could get those, like the Japanese, uh, uh, movies or the bootleg VHS tapes, and oh, things right. that, you know, or the Kurtake uh, brush pens. But, uh,
0: so you could have a great Saturday. You could go have your duck, get, <laughs> yeah, get some, some duck? get some, some pens,
2: some ninja shoes, throwing stars, and the bamboo reed to so just so I could hide underwater and breathe. <laughs> just so my enemies will pass by and I can attack.
1: My How often do you use that one? Full
2: of demons.
1: All the time. I'm actually using it now. Um, I, didn't, I didn't realize you lived by so much water.
2: <laughs> you would think I was landlocked, but no, I live by. A lot of open bodies of water, (laughs) or very still ponds. Um, So I don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Early exposure to
1: comics, I guess.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the the my when I really started to get into comics, uh, my cousin my cousin Alan had he had money he had a job. And we're like fourteen, fifteen, And he like, you know, did odd jobs and he had uh, uh, disposable income and he had subscriptions. He was the first person I knew who got comics in the mail.
0: Wow. So
2: he, he was the comic book guy in our family. It wasn't me. And he had a subscription to alpha flight and Avengers and maybe amazing. Uh, was, we we're total Marvel zombies. I didn't know anybody that read DC comics. Um, this is
0: because he thought they were
2: square? They're just kind of dry. You know what I mean? And um, Were
1: while, they were they still folded in mm-hmm. half? Or did they send them a little better by then? When I, I had a, some relative gave me a subscription to, I think, Batman and Spider-Man when I was about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And they folded them in half in a brown wow. wrapper and just put the address on. <laughs> yeah, I
2: think um,
1: some yeah, of them
2: but they were still in the brown wrapper,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and they may have had a poly bag on them too. Um, By the eighties,
1: that would have been really uncool to do that to a comic. <laughs>
2: yeah, but a lot of them were folded like a taco. Um, but I remember my first—this is weird—my first comic book that I that I bought to collect. Um, I was probably eleven or twelve when I was really into GI Joe, and I think it was like GI Joe number eight or something like that. And I don't know who drew it. might have been one of you guys, I don't know, or like Zach or Golden or whoever was drawing that stuff. And it was hard to, I mean, that, like you were saying earlier, Mike, it was hard to collect anything because you never knew if you were going to see the next issue. Like the spinner rack at the 7 down the street from me, either it was there or it wasn't. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't wind a watch by the spinner rack. So you yeah, had a very incomplete collection of things, but I just wanted the new G.I. Joe.
0: Were you watching the cartoon?
2: Yeah, I was a big I was a big G.I. Joe fan. And did you have the toys? Yeah, I had the toys. <laughs> that hit me like right in that sweet spot because I was so I was born in seventy three. So when the three what the new G.I. Joe's, like the little guys, the three and a four fake G.I. Joe's? Yeah, not the big Afro G.I. Joe's. My cousin Bruce had those. Came out. I was just I was in it, and I knew about the comics from the cartoon commercials.
0: Oh right,
2: yeah, because they had commercials. Really smart branding. There were Marvel commercials that were animated and are like you know fifteen second, really like nicely animated things. Hey, Flint is fighting a Cobra soldier on 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 the Coney Island. Uh, a roller coaster. Find out more in this this month's issue right. of Marvel Comics, and I was just like, "What?" I, I was hooked, and then I went and started hunting that stuff down. But you know, after that, I think I got. Uh, I remember my first X Men was like two oh five. That shows, shows you how late I am, and it might have been no. I think there was like some fill in Barry Windsor Smith X Men issues. I think my first one was like Wolverine and like Katie Power from Power Pack. We're in a snowstorm.
1: <laughs> well, I remember that one, actually. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I was like, yo, this is amazing. And I was mad that they all didn't look like that.
0: <laughs> what You were mad that they, what, that the style was different?
2: Yeah. Like it pissed me off that BWS wasn't doing the rest of them. So also,
0: you liked that
2: style. Yeah. I thought it was funky
0: but then you saw the issues after that and it's like no this is not
2: no no i mean i can't remember who was doing stuff around the early 200s but that's when i started realizing different people drew this stuff
1: butch geist did some of those yeah 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 and
2: i think that was kind of hard one for wolverine too like he was he was a cool guy right everybody was about wolverine around then um but, you know, I, I came from comic strips. Like, I read the Sunday paper and the funnies all the time. And the comic book world was kind of new to me, so I was always playing catch-up. But I could tell you all about Doonesbury.
0: <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I always felt that odd is I wouldn't think that Doonesbury would appeal to a kid. I liked the art style,
2: and I liked how, like, the, pan- like the he would do static background images from panel to panel, but he would change little things. Like, you know, the there'd be like a, a photo of Jimmy Carter on the wall, but by the fourth panel, it was like Nixon or something like that. <laughs> you, just had, like, you just had to pay attention to what he was doing. Wow. And yeah. Turn- I, yeah.
0: I, always, and I would just think that that would be like, I don't know.
2: I like, didn't know what was going on, but here, I'll show you how bad I am. Hold on. One second.
0: Like, I don't think I ever remember looking at like Doonesbury or, or anything like that.
2: Peanuts. Here's, I got these later, but I was such a Trudeau mark. Here's my hardcover Doonesbury Chronicles. Wow. This is what, from 74, 76, 77? When you were
0: one? They gave it to you? Here you go, Jamar. Here's your Doonesbury.
2: I think this is from 74 or something like that. Is it
0: signed to you by Gary Trudeau?
2: I think, you know, when I did my first comic, The Jamar Chronicles, I got it from this. Look at that. And then I just found this. This is a nice soft cover. I found this in a thrift store for a dollar.
1: Ah, okay.
2: Well, anyway, I was a big Doonesbury guy. Um, But, yeah, I didn't understand anything he was talking about. I just loved the style. (sighs) And that's my problem now. Look at me.
0: (laughs) What what was it? Do you, you... Can you think at all? Like, what was it that you liked about the style?
2: I think that he kind of, Trudeau kind of created his own shorthand. Like, his stuff is very cartoony, but yet they, it's, he's drawing like adult
1: humans. This stuff is so old looking. So old (laughs) looking. He does the strangest eyes of any cartoonist, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: like his profiles of just, I don't know if you can even see it. It's like...
1: Everybody always looks like they're tired. Yeah.
2: Look at Zonker Harris. I love Dewsbury. That's my shit. (laughs) Yeah, like I've never seen anybody draw anything like that before, and I was just enthralled by it, and it worked, because it was his universe, you know, like all the characters had that same construction and it just, it just made sense. <laughs> so it kind of gave me some, uh, uh, you know, it kind of opened some gates for me thinking like I could just draw any way I wanted to, as long as it was consistent. Did
0: you, did you, do you think he was an influence stylistically on you in the beginning, like that type of face or way?
2: You... Maybe it laid you know, more breathed. Cause that was a big, bloom county guy too and i know i stole a lot from from Breathed's style and i didn't realize how scratchy he was until later i'm like oh shit i really need to learn how to draw sneakers because he's not doing it here He <laughs> mm-hmm. was, was just doing like scribbles for shoelaces and i thought that shorthand was interesting um but yeah i didn't realize how s- kind of loose breathed was with this stuff but it, it just it translated well. But I know I had a lot of breath it in my early stuff, like that one uh, Jamar Chronicles thing I put on Instagram a little while ago. It's like the to- totally the same feet, if I can find it. I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> Try not to be embarrassed by my cartooning in front of you, you legends, <laughs> you gods among men. I hear it. Uh, let me see if I can share the screen here.
1: Hold on one second.
2: I got to get the whole foot in. That doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't.
1: So you're going to be able to show us what's on your screen?
2: Yeah, you can do this thing called screen share share screen. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Yeah, can you? See oh it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you look at that foot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It totally reads. So yeah, right. And then I
2: stopped drawing like that. <laughs> but yeah, you can see it.
1: I was a huge Don Martin fan when I was a little kid.
2: Uh, yeah, the Bigfoot cartooning right there.
1: Very str- talk about strange looking construction.
2: Like that. <laughs> That's weird. He's supposed but it he supposedly went to the academy. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Really? Papa. Yeah, supposedly he attended Papa.
1: Wow. He oh, probably, okay. I don't think you went to every life drawing class
0: <laughs> They had very strange models with their toes all yeah.
2: On. <laughs> like Jack Davis feet. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, look guys, I gotta I gotta wrap it up. I gotta go. Um, but uh this was good. Um I don't know how you guys wanna close out the episode or we can just stop talking, but you guys <laughs> keep going if you if you want. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens next. I think but, I,
1: I'm, I've finished what I was doing too.
2: <laughs> oh, look at that! Very ah, there nice. So
1: now
0: nice. you'll just ink it up.
1: No, I got to ink it up. Not tonight though. I'm a fairly early riser now, so it's almost ten o'clock for me. I'm already crash myself. All right,
0: well, maybe we should wrap it up. Okay, let's wrap it up. Uh, so uh, anything going on this week, Jamar? Any appearances, any? Uh,
2: no, I am off the books for a while. So um, I'll just be trying to keep my head down and, to finish this uh, Leon stuff,
1: and uh, we'll go to the next thing.
0: Okay. What about you, Brett? Anything this week? Any?
1: Probably be at the stove a couple times a day. <laughs> Maybe my refrigerator in between. Other than that, no.
0: Okay, and we'll see you guys next time.
2: See you. Thanks.